I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Okay? Yeah, no, I, I, right, I have the memo. I've got it. It's right. It's always soccer in Philadelphia as we enter. What, what is this, week three now of uh, self-isolation and social distancing and washing our hands and just trying to be smart here and not do anything stupid to uh, help the spread of the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. Uh, but, you know, the show must go on. Even though we don't have soccer to talk about, we're going to keep the podcast going. We've been bringing in uh, special guests to try to do some feature kind of stories and pick people's brains and learn some other things about the game. And uh, we're going to continue that with a special guest. He is the Philadelphia Union pregame, halftime, postgame, play-by-play guy. It's Dave Leno, everybody. Dave, what's going on? Kevin, thanks so much uh, for having me on the podcast. Hopefully you're safe and healthy and all your listeners as well during this time. We're doing good. Uh, How are you doing? I understand that you have a newborn in the house. Yeah, so we have an eight-week-old son. Uh, He's doing great healthy, happy. So, you know, my wife, Tori, and I, we're just really staying positive. And, you know, I, I think I can't get all these precious moments I have with him in the midst of all the sports stuff that I do. I'll never be able to, you know, get back if, if I was in the midst of uh, my regular sports schedule. So I'm really happy um, that I have these times and making a lot of memories uh, with him and uh, just trying to have a positive outlook on the whole scenario, and hopefully we get through uh, this virus as quick as uh, humanly possible. Yeah, it's some silver lining. You know, you get to spend some uh, some time with people who mean something to you. You know, it's uh, it's interesting to see too how what people are doing with their what their free time and being creative. I mean, you could probably sit there and watch Netflix for ten hours, but people are. Uh, you know, uh, playing guitar, you know, doing uh, Skype with the family, trying to, to do what they can to get by. Uh, what is the extent of of what you're able to do? do you, are you just going out to the grocery store, getting supplies, stuff like that? Are you just sort of hanging around in the house? What's, uh, what's the most that you guys are doing right now? A little bit of everything. I mean, I've been the one that's running the errands, so I've been going to, you know, our local market. I'm, I'm really big on also supporting small business, though, um, restaurants in our area we live in the suburbs of philly and so uh we're we're trying to support some friends too just picking up some stuff like curbside pickup uh that sort of thing taking some walks around the development and also in town obviously keeping with you know the guidelines of what our health experts are saying with social distancing and all that which i think we all need to take very seriously and then on top of all that of course you know we're you know we're watching movies or, or Netflix, as you mentioned, a couple of series. Uh, I think I'm probably, people probably don't know a lot about me on this, and I actually love to cook and bake. So we've been cooking up a storm here. Um, our recent menu items have been uh, stuffed shells the other night. Uh, we've made chicken parm. I uh, just baked a couple baguettes. I'm trying to rival Park. No, no offense to Stephen Scar down there. We'll never be like his bread. Uh, so we're having fun with that. And, you know, we're, we're, we're making the best of the family time. And, and I know a lot of people out there are hurting right now. And, um, and it's not, quite honestly, it's not the best uh, situation for a guy like uh, me either. Uh, so, you know, I'm hoping that this all gets you know, cleaned up rather quickly. And, I'm just trying to take it one day at a time, and, and like I said from the top, just really looking at the positive end, that the, the light at the end of the tunnel is on the horizon. 
So obviously you and I are not health experts, uh, nor are we pandemic experts. But, uh, you know, if, if we could put our, uh, you know, just take a take a crack at it here and think about what the future looks like for the sports world, be it the Philadelphia Union or the NLL or any of these other sports that you've called. Um, I mean, what what do you see happening here? What's kind of a best case scenario? Uh, do, do you think that maybe uh, I, I sort of think that when we get to the summer uh, or maybe whenever it's we sort of get the first all clear, maybe playing in front of empty stadiums might be the right idea. Maybe. Uh, you know, you just do it with the minimal amount of personnel that you need, and then maybe eventually you reintroduce fans, reintroduce media and stuff like that. Maybe a gradual step back into this. Probably, I, I think that would make the most sense if I had to take a guess. You know, I recently heard that the NBA was was looking into that from a couple interviews I was uh, recently listening to, and I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it would be must-watch entertainment for especially the sports fans out there that, you know, is, for example, let's start with the NBA, then we'll go into the last uh, You yeah. know, the NBA, if they have an expanded playoff, they may ditch the rest of the regular season, have an expanded playoff, maybe let in 10 teams, 11, 12, what have you, and you, you play at all these neutral sites without fans, I think it would be appointment television. I think the networks are talking about that right now. I wouldn't put that in them. I think the, the, the average fan out there would be upset because he or she would love to attend those games, especially for the stakeholders and people who have paid money. So I'm curious when it comes to the NBA and the NHL, if they go to those steps, like you're mentioning, with no fans first, uh, maybe they go to the playoffs and, and do something like that at neutral site. As it relates to MLS, I think the luxury for Major League Soccer is when the season started versus the other professional yeah. In that, since we just started, and the union has played two games so far, I think that this schedule can be pushed back, maintaining the full season, and where you have the MLS Cup playoffs in potentially November, December, which, as you well know, and your listeners do, that has been done before. And MLS does have an off season that a lot, you know, I hear at a lot of press conferences. Short, you know, we can say short, long, whatever, but, you know, if this thing does need to go into the winter months, you know, in, in December and then even January, you know, the question obviously is, you know, what are the conditions going to be like? But I think it can be done preserving the full season where you play those three games in eight days. We know that happens um, quite a few times throughout the year. So maybe you keep the, the games that are in the schedule and, you know, whether this thing starts up in June, July, August, but the ones that we miss. Uh, back in there during the midweek, I think, travel-wise, all these teams would have to charter. I think I read something that MLS put out, correct uh, if I'm wrong, that they would have to charter if they did play, I guess, their, it would have been our San Jose home opener, because they probably would have to come in on the charter. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Right. But uh, I think the MLS season um, can be preserved with that 34-game schedule and MLS playoffs. You asked me about my lacrosse gig. I'm also the play-by-play guy for the New York Riptide expansion team in the NLL. Um, and uh, quite honestly, with no insider information, I think the, because that season is two-thirds of the way done, I would say if we don't start up within the next month or two, that's going to go right to the playoffs, and I may lose all the rest of my uh, regular season games, and my team's currently out of the playoff picture. Uh, so it, it is a waiting game. 
game. I'm very curious as well, not to, not to jump on every sports play, but the last one is Major League Baseball. Yeah. Uh, they, they played shortened seasons before. Uh, I think, you know, if they don't start up by May, June, you know, and let's say July 1st, the target date, you know, could they be playing a shortened season? And, you know, I don't think they're going to go into uh, a November, December window like MLS will. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because of the, as you point out, different seasons and or different sports in different parts of their season. You know, it's obviously easier for MLS to push things back. Uh, you know, the NBA and the NHL might just have to pick up with the playoffs and maybe chop games off the front of next year. Uh, the NLL was in the middle of their season, too. Yeah, it should be interesting to see how the different leagues respond and if, if one takes the lead and others follow suit. Um, but let me ask you, so let me, let me uh, pick your brain then about uh, – about the broadcasting business here. You've been doing play-by-play and TV stuff for forever now. Uh, many different sports. Uh, lacrosse, basketball, soccer, tennis. I think you did field hockey, right? Did I miss anything in there? Yep. Field hockey, I called Jeff. <laughs> baseball, uh, you name it. Anything that had a ball, I, I, I probably called. So let me um, – so let me ask it this way. Let, let's say you have a uh, – because I'm interested in kind of like the work the work that leads up to a game and the prep and, uh, and uh, how that all happens. So say you've got a Philadelphia Union game. You're, you're calling a 7 o'clock Philadelphia Union game on a Saturday. Your preparation starts when, and what's the first thing that you do? Well, two totally different types of, of prep, uh, whether I'm doing you know, pregame, halftime, postgame, hosting, or a, or a co-host on there. Uh, or playing the analyst part, or uh, doing play-by-play, uh, filling in for JP, yelling camera. Uh, a lot of times, the only similarities I would say is I'm definitely looking up both of the rosters and seeing recent transactions and just familiarizing myself with some bio stuff. I will go back, whether I do play-by-play or hosting, and watch games, uh, maybe their previous uh, definitely the previous game, maybe snippets of their previous uh, two or three games. Yeah. Looking for identification there for any guy, new guys that are coming into the league, tendencies like that. Anything I can pick up on on, on their style of play and also the team's style. Uh, but when it comes to play-by-play, I'm obviously doing more elaborate boards. You know, names, numbers, a lot more bio stuff than I would do pre-half post where I'm really adhering or a rundown or a format that's really a collaboration between our producer, the broadcast, Jordan Strauss, and the rest of our broadcast team and elements that he and others want to put into the show. And uh, whether I'm the host of the show or co-host, you know, picking which segment, excuse me, that I'm going to talk about and I'm going to go more into detail. I'm really preparing more so and diving deep on those topics, whereas when you play-by-play, pretty much have to know everything that's going on, especially about the other team, because we spend so much time in a pre-half post on the union. So I do a lot more prep, I would say, uh, on the visitors when it comes to play-by-play. So when you're doing play-by-play now, let's let's say it's game day and you get to the stadium and you have your materials and stuff like that. You guys are still doing. Uh, are you still meeting and doing that sort of pregame uh, meeting with the broadcast crew and with Tommy and everybody a couple hours before the game? And and, and what goes into that sort of like in the, the immediate hours right before the broadcast? Yeah. So 
about two hours before uh, kickoff, we'll have a meeting uh, on the press level at the stadium. And, you know, I'll be there. Tommy will be there. Marissa will be there. Uh, Jordan Stroud leads the meeting. He's our producer. And a few other uh, will have our director may be there. Our, uh, our associate producer would be there and, and a few others. And Jordan's leading that meeting going through essentially the format of the rundown how they're going to start the show, what shots uh, the director may show, what shots, uh, you know, what the title card will look like, all that stuff, which is essentially saying you know, this, the union are playing San Jose, and it shows that graphic. Um, and then we'll go into how we are going to start the show and really how much time we're going to have dedicated to each segment and what graphics are going to accompany each block. Um, and so Jordan's going to run that down and then, Marissa, Tommy, or I, uh, or Sebastian Latou will interject with, uh, you know, some comments or mm -hmm. what we want to talk about so the crew is all on the same page. And we'll discuss that during the week, but more so when we're all in person, we'll go over it uh, all together. And that's really important, even though everybody has all their, their notes down and, and everybody's an expert for that day on that game. It's really important to have that camaraderie, and, and it shows a sense of confidence in everybody that they can do the job on game day. So it's really important to have that meeting, and essentially, after that, um, depends on who you are. Uh, some get a bite to eat, some do a walk and talk to you know a coach or player on the sideline if they can, or, or do a pregame interview. Uh, if it's me, where I'm doing play-by-play, uh, I'm not one to usually eat a, a big press meal like before a broadcast. <laughs> so, uh, not saying that I get nervous. I mean, I'm, listen, everybody gets anxious before a call and it's live TV. But for me, I'm 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 really big on. Uh, if anybody has, has seen my social media, I post a lot about my boards and my notes and how it looks like a beautiful mind with all the how I color code everything. <laughs> and how how much it does take a lot of time. So I scour over that, or, or I'm you know, talking with the crew in the booth, and uh, I'm just going over things that I want to make sure I, I get in if the game allows me to. And, and, and lastly, I would say, as the play-by-play -play guy, you know, I can bring all this material to the show, but I'm going to use 5 to 10% of that, if then, because you have to let the game come to you, and you're calling the action, but in soccer, obviously, there's no need to call every single touch. So that's when you're setting up your analysts for stories or just going over a conversation you had uh, with somebody from the organization over play, especially when the ball's in the middle of the park. So there's nuances of the game and of the broadcast that I think in my, this is now my fifth year with the union, that I've definitely strengthened uh, over time as it relates to calling a soccer. Yeah, you know, the concept of being overprepared is interesting. I think a lot of people who do prep for sports radio or play-by-play -play or anything related would probably tell you something similar, that they only use like, you know, 5%, 10% of what they actually write down. Um, and it's funny, yeah, because you share those boards. Um, if, if you want to see what Dave's talking about, go to his Twitter page. It's at DaveLenoTV. Uh, and there's clips that show like pronunciations of the names. Here's a note about where they went to college, where they had transfer. It's like, I don't think you could stuff any more words onto those sheets of paper, even if you tried, but to the, to the point, it's like really, 
uh, you know, it's there if you need it, but the game is going to sort of dictate what happens anyway. It's almost like when I, when I do this interview with you, I have maybe like 10 questions written down and maybe I only ask you like eight of them. Um, but to that point, um, soccer is interesting, isn't it? In that you sort of, it, it's not like basketball or lacrosse or any of these back and forth action kind of sports where you're going to be super excited. Here's a slam dunk. And then here's a great assist on the other side. And then here's a, you know, a reverse layup or something like soccer is kind of a slow build, slow build, slow build, then action, and then kind of slow and slow. So I'm kind of interested specifically to how, how it is calling soccer versus the other sports that you call. Yeah, it, it's totally different. I think, you know, like I said about picking your spots, uh, uh, you know, a free kick at a dangerous area or a set piece, a corner, like those are moments where you, there's no need to go into, you know, some big elaborate story about what the guy did in the offseason uh, that's taking one of those opportunities. Um, obviously, I've learned when there's, you know, this is getting very technical, but obviously when there's a goal kick, there's going to be a lot of time. And maybe we'll, we'll throw in a promo for those that don't know. It might be a, a sponsored element. Um, somebody that's a partner with the team. Like, for example, like, uh, you know, today's broadcast is brought to you by Subaru. Grab the Subaru today. You know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, those are moments when I know that stuff's coming. But especially when I see when I see transition plays, I mean, I look for those moments, especially when I'm, when I'm doing play-by-play of soccer. And, and I've gotten to the point where I, when I'm getting more and more opportunities doing play-by-play with the union over the years, you you sort of can pick those moments when they're going to happen. And when you hear the crowd getting into it, where, you know, the ball's going past the midway line and, and it's going out to a wide area, you know, uh, you know, whether it's Kai Wagner uh, or somebody else is going to put in a good ball. You know, those are spots that I know, okay, I really need to go into the nuts and bolts of play-by-play. Wagner with an in-swinging ball, you know, headed away by whoever. Uh, those type of things. Where I'm also have to be key on is identification. And for those that haven't called you know, a soccer game or even, I'll, I'll even put you know, college football. I don't do that many college football games, yeah. but I've done a few over the years, and I can tell you that you know, college football might be tougher than soccer for identification purposes, but as it relates to MLS and the union, you know, pretty much I know everybody looks like on the union, uh, just having, you know, bitter, you know, I go midweek, I try to go to every press conference, I try to watch training um, at least once or twice a week if I can. Um, obviously, I'm there on game day or when we're at the, uh, the studio, which we can get into that, how that's a whole different challenge when it comes to identification. Um, but when you're there, I'm mainly focused a lot on warm-up. So I've learned that, you know, over time, that in particular with the visitors and also home as well, you'll see the starters all grouped up on the side towards the left of the visitor's bench if you're ever at uh, Subaru Park or coming down, um, you'll see that the starters, you know, maybe a half hour before the game and the final warm-ups will all be warming up together. The reserves will be out there just towards their goals and practicing and warming up their keepers. So I'll watch, I'll watch what the guys look like um, if I'm not sure, or I'll look for tendencies if the guy has certain colored boots or he has a wrap or a, different, uh, a wrap on a shoulder if he has hairstyle, um, I'll look for that sort of thing because I just know there's a million things running through my mind during a soccer game that I have to know who everybody is at any given time. And I also know that they're not going to stay. They're, obviously, this depends on team to team. Right. But they're not going to stay in their same spot. There's tactical flexibility that we, we could talk about a hundred times over. Uh, but that's really important. 
different type of you know identification. But when it comes to sports like uh, you know baseball, uh, that's much slower. Uh, you probably have an easier time getting away of looking down at your scoreboard, uh, your scorebook, and you know seeing who's the guy at shorter, who's the guy in left field. Uh, soccer, I don't think you're going to get those moments, and I think it's crucial in some of those one v one opportunities that you know I'm trying to get better at where. You know, uh, Valsino breaking in from the, you know, like he often does from the end line and cutting inside, and he's hopping over one guy. Yeah. I would love to get into who that defender is as he's trying to score. Those are important little things that a lot of people probably wouldn't get, but guys like you and I could pick up on. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot of little nuance that goes into it. Like, I, I came from a broadcasting background. So, like, for example, you know, you mentioned, like, player identification in college football. You know, like, Merrill, Merrill Reese, for instance, with the Eagles has a spotter. You know, when I say a spotter, I'm talking about, um, you know, a guy who helps identify who these players are or something. So if there's a pile of bodies on there, you know, somebody's in his ear saying, oh, that was uh, – you know, Derek, Derek Barnett with the sack or something like that, you know, obviously that's different for different sports. Um, also interested specifically too. So, you know, the, the, the back and forth that you have with a, a color commentator. Now, when you guys are in the booth, you're sitting uh, to, to the left of the media, uh, to, to the, pre- the press box at, at Talon or Subaru. Um, you have the color guy right next to you. You look like, I think you look like you're standing up the whole time. You don't sit in your chair. Do you, are you standing up? Uh- I, the only thing I I sit for is, gosh, maybe uh, God, I sit college basketball because I'm courtside. You can't stand up or some fans that are paying big bucks will yell at me. True, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm standing the whole time. Uh, it's just like it's an adrenaline rush for me to call a game. I can't, you know, we have some you know high schools in there that I guess you can sit on. But I generally don't unless, you know, maybe at halftime so I want to sit down. But I'm a pretty uh, energetic guy. <laughs> and I, I, like to, I like to just be in the moment and feel like I'm a part of the game, playing my little part, like the fans are. When the fans are, you know, like the Sons of Ben are standing up the whole time. Like, that's, that's the type of guy that I am as well. I'm, I'm very passionate, energetic about what I do. Um, I will tell you that. At least time I do one of these broadcasts, and whether it's the Philadelphia Union or I do some tennis or I do some uh, uh, field hockey, like you said, or lacrosse or college basketball with ESPN, that I'm always thinking back to when I had absolutely nothing and <laughs> how I could not get a job in this business out of school after working my ass off. Um, I graduated from Indiana University in Bloomington, and I worked for, for every student media professional media that was out there under the sun seemingly and I always I always think back to every time before I started broadcast but college basketball uh, I know you're a West Virginia guy I remember doing a game in Morgantown I did a West Virginia Oklahoma State game and I'm looking around <laughs> and like um, uh, like this is this is everything I dreamed about about doing that was one of my first opportunities on ESPNU for that game and the same thing when I went up the union I'm looking at the view uh, I'm looking at all the fans in the stands. I'm, I'm listening to what's going on in the video board. I'm talking with Tommy and or Marissa or some other people on our crew. And just you have to be so grateful and thankful. But there's also Kevin a lot of pressure when it comes to that. Yeah, there That's is. That's why you know I'm standing. I'm looking. You know, I, I can't be looking over the thousands of notes that I have. You know, in front of me. Of course, I'm exaggerating there, but I can't. I have to pay attention to the action, and I just sitting down and. 
is just not is not for me. I have to be standing the whole time. If you've seen some behind the clips videos of me and some of my calls, I'm very energetic. You know, I'm touching yeah. my fist. I'm touching, you know, Tommy's shoulder. Uh, you know, if I have somebody next to me who's our stage manager uh, who's handing me cards and stuff, you know, I'm going to, you know, give him a little nudge or, or a car saying, oh, look at that. Did you see that save? Uh, or I'm making facial expressions to whoever's in the booth with me. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm into it just like our, our fan base is, and that's the guy that I always will be, whether I'm announcing uh, or off the air. So I have to stand. And uh, mainly, uh, you know, I like to think that I'm uh, burning some calories while doing that, but uh, I don't think uh, that's the case, but I wish it was. Yeah, but you, you know what it is, Dave? It's like, um, you, you know, to, to your point, it's kind of like a – I don't know, maybe this sounds like a weird word to use, but it's almost like a responsibility because a good play-by-play announcer can sell the atmosphere of a game or can make it feel important or is, is sort of like that conduit uh, to the fans who are sitting at home watching on TV. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, my favorite play-by-play, my favorite broadcaster right now is Kevin Harlan. And um, I think Kevin just does a really good job at, like, making me get excited about the game. Like, I could be sitting there watching a game that, like, I really don't have any interest in either one of the teams. I didn't go to those schools. I'm not a fan of that team. But because he sort of puts the excitement and the emotion uh, into it and he has these great calls, it kind of pulls me in and it makes me it makes me feel like I'm uh, like I'm invested in something that I otherwise would not be invested in. You know what I mean? Well said. I love Kevin Harlan. Uh, he is no doubt one of the best and for those listening and and kevin you probably have but for those who have not heard kevin harlan do monday night football on the radio for westwood one it is must listen entertainment because he is so descriptive in his calls. like you would not believe how he gets in all of that description on one particular play in a five to ten second window, and for guys that are trying to emulate that on radio, uh, a lot of times it's just unthinkable. They can't do it. Uh, and when he's on TV, whether it's TNT or, or CBS, especially we're missing him on the NCAA tournament, like a lot of announcers out there, uh, he is no doubt one of the best. And he brings that enthusiasm, that energy. For me, as a, as a guy growing up, he is definitely one of the guys that I paid attention to at a young age. I've tried to emulate. I think I had a phone call with him coming out of school, uh, and he was so gracious with me and his time. And he probably wouldn't know me from a lick now, but you know, I'm forever indebted that he gave me a few minutes uh, to talk about the business and where I wanted to go. And you know, he told me I had great pipes, and we corresponded a little bit via e- uh, email as well. Um, and there's there's several different types of broadcasters and. It's so subjective out there where somebody like uh, sitting at home might like a more monotone listen where, you know, it's just background noise essentially. They're filling in the captions, which is essentially what you want to do on television. And as I've grown in the business, I've tried to find a happy medium. We talked about letting the game come to you. So, you know, if there's no score in the game and there's not a lot going on, of course, maybe you might not have those energetic calls. But... If you go back to, you know, the union put out recently uh, online and asked me to reminisce about that David Akam game-winning goal in 2018 against the Chicago Fire. It was a 4-3 game. Okay, that has seven goals. <laughs> Fine stacker scores, you know, in second half stop. It's time to make it 3-3. Akam yeah. scores a minute later to win it. Of course, my calls are going to be louder. They're going to be more energetic. 
energetic, have more passion behind them, uh, have more of a, a rapid pace to the call. Uh, and that's where broadcasters, you know, you don't want to be screaming during those moments, but if the play dictates an exciting call, I'm definitely one to give that to you. It's learning about, you know, when to kind of dial back some of those calls when it's in, you know, the, the 20th minute, the guy takes a shot from 35 yards away and it's on goal and the keeper makes a relatively easy stop. Do you go crazy there? Well, there's probably no, uh, there's probably no sense in doing that right yeah, now. So yeah, those, yeah. Are, those are types of the things that, you know, when I go back and I listen to every game that I do, whether it's, you know, pre-half, post, I was recorded at home and I'll go back and I'll watch it many, many times over. Um, even to this day, I'm watching you know, some of the first games I did, whether it was with the union of the first year I did with, with Bethlehem Steel in 2016 as their play-by-play guy. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. I always say to myself, look at the improvement from year one to year two and from year two to year three. And if I write down some of these things that I think I can get better at, then that will be utilized for this year that I'm doing my job because I want to see incremental growth every year. And as long as I don't flatten that, you know, I know we're trying to flatten the curve with this coronavirus, which is very <laughs> important. But when it comes to broadcasting, uh, I just need to continue, uh, you know, getting that incremental growth in the, the things that I want to work on. That will make me a better broadcaster for everybody listening. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's interesting, like, kind of the concept of you don't want to... It's almost funny, because, like, in soccer, you know, it's, it's like you sort of have a finite amount of uh, exciting moments, and you don't want to... Like, you don't want to waste them, I guess, is a way to say it. Like, I feel like you have diminishing returns on every, like, super excitable thing because you're kind of building up to these crescendos that really matter, you know? And, um, you know, it was interesting to me. Like, Mark Zumoff came over from basketball, and he did a couple union games back in the day. And uh, he was a soccer lifelong soccer fan, and I think he slid into it very naturally. Um Gus Johnson did it for a little while, and it didn't really work out, you know, because I guess his basketball skills weren't really – uh, translatable to, to soccer. But, um, yeah, I just, I just feel like soccer is so much more like, I think if you called lacrosse and basketball and football and and whatever, those kind of fall into one family, but I feel like soccer just kind of sticks out a lot differently than everything else. Agreed. I think a lot of guys that do the sports that you mentioned cannot comfortably, uh, go into a play by play role with an MLS club and call those games. And listen, every, I listen to, all the other broadcasters around MLS, obviously it helps with social media. So everybody's calls different. There's guys out there and females that, that have a softer tone in their voice. There's others that have a really deep baritone. There's others that get really excited on goal calls. There's others that just will simply say, goal and that says one nothing. whoever team it is, let it breathe, then let the analyst take over the replay. And you're right, it's definitely uh, a different type of, broadcasting style and you know i i think over time the, the best way to do it for guys that and girls that want to get into the business and, and learn you know how to call soccer is just like anything else is you know to watch the people and listen to those that you look up to and how they call the game what moments are they are they going into the rudiments of play-by-play where are the others that you know we talked about this earlier that are going into their their storytelling or bringing in their analysts the main thing you want to focus on, too, is that the analyst is the is the person who really shines on a TV broadcast. Um, 
I am an ego-free guy. I do not care, you know, about jamming in information here. I am not, you know, one of these divas in the business. I will never be that type of guy. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that just like, you know, to pat myself on the back. For those that know me know that, that I'm a team player, and I just want to do my part to make the broadcast great because I think of my role as a small part in a play. In an ensemble, it's like playing an, in, another analogy is just playing an instrument, part of the orchestra. <laughs> and there's some out there that that don't see it that way. And I believe, just my personal opinion, that that's the wrong mentality to have. So if you can go into any game and be a team player, and listen, on that particular soccer broadcast, the analyst may be talking 65% of the time, and the play-by-play guy might be 35%. And you know what? That's okay because the analyst is the person that's trying to educate and talk about why things are going this way and that way for a team, whereas the play-by-play guy is giving those nuts and bolts um, of the action, of the game calling. And, and I'm really comfortable in that role, and it's the same thing when I'm the host, whether I'm doing it with Sebastian Latou or Carissa or Adam Tan uh, or, or Lori Lindsay in the past, anybody else. I'm setting up the topic. Yes, I might have an opinion on it, but they're the ones that are the experts. They're the ones that really should should have a little bit more credibility from the soccer, have a lot more credibility from the soccer world to give their opinion. Uh, whereas I may tag that or, or add something on the back end, uh, but um, it's really important to just know my role uh, on a game. But soccer is very different uh, in its game calling, uh, to your point, uh, like the other sports. Uh, two more quick ones for you, Dave. Actually, kind of segueing off of what you were just saying there. Uh, I'm curious as to how you communicate with your analyst or your your color commentary person when you're in the booth. Are you guys looking at each other? Do you have hand signals? Does Tommy wave at you if he wants to make a point? How how do you guys uh, operate mechanically so that you're not talking over at each each other at the same time? Because we have such a comfortability, and JP does the same like this with, with Tommy in what I see as well. A lot of times we're not looking at each other when we're we're talking when we're going from the play-by-play guy and segueing uh, to the the analyst. So, for example, I know hey, there's a great chance Casper uh, Shabilko takes a shot inside the area, saved by David Bingham uh, out for a corner. I lay out, which means I don't talk. Generally, I'm thinking with a good opportunity, our producer is going to be in our ear. Just not going to go over there and say, all right, replay's coming. And I know that Tommy will be taking it. I don't need to look at Tommy. I don't need to say, oh, come on, fuck. He knows his job and when to come in. Now, when the ball's in the middle of the park and not a lot of action is going on, sometimes, yes, I will look over to Tommy and I'll ask him a question. But sometimes he may not be looking at me. He's still watching the play, and that's okay. You know, we have great audio in our headsets. We know what's going on. And because well, we like each other very much and we have that chemistry on and off air, it hopefully it comes across to the viewer that it's seamless. And it's the same thing when I'm, you know, doing pre-half posts with Marissa or Sebastian Latou, Adam, whoever. Uh, you know, I don't need to, you know, physically say every time, hey, hey Marissa, hey, Adam, you know. Yeah. Unless there's like, unless there's obviously more than two people, maybe I want to ask a pointed question at one of those folks. But because we've all been, working with each other a little bit we know each other so well and we have we have these conversations about the game too kevin off the air as well right. tommy and i were broadcast 
Are there any particular things that you're looking out for that you want to bring in? I may tell him, hey, I was at the press conference earlier in the week. Jim said to the reporters, look out for X, Y, and Z. A player said, look out for this. They might try to exploit this matchup. So we may try to, to get those in as much as we can. I may set him up for some things uh, to allow him to educate viewers um, when it's the proper moment to do so. But to your question again, I a lot of times I am not, you know, I'm not tapping Tommy's shoulder unless I'm excited about a goal call or anything like that because, you know, we're both looking at the field of play and uh, we just, we're just having a conversation like you and I are right now. It's like two guys sitting at a bar. Yeah. Um, Oh, you, you can be staring at your drink, and it might not be the most social thing to do, but um, you're, you know, you're just uh, shooting the stuff, and you know, you're talking about the game you love. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that comes naturally, and like you know, I was a producer for almost ten years, and I would, I would try to stay out of the IFB. Um, an IFB is an earpiece for listeners who don't know. I would try to stay out of the anchor's ear or the broadcaster's ear as much as possible because. You know, if you know what you're doing, then it comes naturally and you just let it flow. So that's always kind of how those those things end up going. Um, all right, Dave, last one for you. Uh, if you had, you know, say there's like a, I don't know, like a 16-year-old kid listening to the podcast or they, or they come up to you and they say, uh, hey, I want to do what you're doing. I want to get into sports broadcasting and sports television. Uh, what's uh, what, What's your advice to them? What kind of path would you set them down? I would do everything as humanly possible to call any sport that, that allows you the opportunity. Too many uh, guys, girls that that I've talked to in the business. Let's just let's just go the play-by-play route um, right this second. They, a lot of them want to do football and basketball. They want to be you know on the NFL. They want to do the NCAA tournament, which is all great and exciting. But I took the route. I can just tell you from my pathway of the Olympic sports route, and I chose a lot more freelance opportunities coming out of school. And then one led to another through connections and through, uh, I like to think, my talent as well, where I really specialized in a lot of those, those Olympic sports like softball. Field hockey, I'll give you, I'll give you one quick example. Mm-hmm. Field hockey, um, a lot of people probably don't know a lot about the rules, and you know they may not even see it played in the Midwest, not even in high school in the Midwest. Most of the hotbeds are you know, in the tri-state area, you have some in, you know, up north in like the Boston area, and you have a little pocket in California as well. Of course, the ACC country has some great field hockey too. Uh, but I didn't know anything about field hockey uh, when I was in college at Indiana. And the first game I ever caught on television, I was 21, it was on the Big Ten Network, on the linear network. Now they have this BTN Student U, which, allowed, which is great, students to get on TV. Uh, but I called it from the linear network, and I did Indiana versus Ohio State. I was still in college at the time. Mm-hmm. Just made a connection, and they needed a guy. And, you know, I said, sure, I could do field hockey. But I knew nothing about the sport. Three weeks before, you know, I attended practices. I met with a coach. He gave me Olympic DVDs, and I studied. And I'm not saying I was great on that particular game, but I thought I did a, a serviceable job. And then you fast forward, I don't know, four years later, you know, I got a call to do all these U.S. women's national team field hockey games. Yeah. And now I'm doing all these games, uh, you know, for uh, the women's national team. It also led to some Pan American Cups I've called in the Pro League, which is a new worldwide league that the U.S. women's team is in. So what I'm getting at is I tell that story because a lot of people probably would have said no to that opportunity because it wasn't a big sport. Yeah. But that got me reps, 
which means more time to be on air, to better my craft. So whatever the sport may be for those listening out there, it may be field hockey, it may be tennis, it may be softball, it may be a sport that you might not even have played, but that might get your foot to the door. And that's what I would say is don't worry about the opportunity of not doing maybe college football or basketball. Some of these other sports can parlay you into the sports that you ultimately want to do. I did a lot of soccer at Indiana. Indiana has a very prized uh, soccer history, yeah. as I'm sure you well know. Yeah. And uh, I called it one of my first opportunities there was doing Indiana soccer as a freshman. You know, doing Indiana basketball as a freshman. I mean, maybe you get one game. Football's not that great out there, even though they're getting better now. So I did a couple football games as an undergrad. But I will tell you that doing those soccer games and seeing a bunch of those players from Indiana now playing at MLS, it's a real treat. It gave me a lot of confidence. But I often think back to the days where I was doing college soccer, but I never would have thought Evan, at that particular moment that I would be you know, part of the broadcast team with the Philadelphia Union, which leads me to this, to this next and, and maybe final point, is that just enjoy the journey. People out there are frustrated, I know, in a time like this, obviously, where the money might not be coming in with our with our sports colleagues out there, whether you're on air or off the air. But enjoy and be grateful for what you have, and don't worry about the money when you're starting out. That will hopefully come over time with your talent and, and somebody notices you out there. Be persistent, not a pest with a lot of people out there, folks that you look up to in networks, but gradually work on moving up in the industry. Um, too many people, and like me in the beginning, and I'm man enough to say this, you know, you think you're good, you think you can go places, you try to aim for something really high, and it humbles you a little bit when you don't find anything. And then when you aim for things that, you know, that are maybe in smaller markets, you don't even get that too. So don't ever think an opportunity is too small for you. Take what you can get and try to fine-tune your skills within those opportunities move up in your career and, and go for your dreams. Don't let, allow a, you know, a, a guy or a girl to, to say you can't do it. you got to turn that no into a yes. And, and the last thing I'll say is don't let anybody out there hinder your path to success. Go for everything that you believe uh, you were meant to do and just improve every time you're on air. Yeah, it's great advice. You know, if the if the door is open, uh, even if the door only opens like one tenth of a centimeter, uh, shove shove your foot in the door as hard as you can, and don't don't let anybody close the door. You know, because that's just as important as uh, as anything else. Many of our friends, sorry to interrupt. No, many of our friends in the business, and you know, I, I know you've been on the on the TV side too. You know, too many of our friends get burned out earlier and they quit on the dream because they're frustrated and they're not moving up. And I get that. Every Everybody out there, I don't care how high up, you know, some play-by-play guys are or, or, or how low they are on the protocol, everybody out there has been frustrated at one point or another in their career. And But you got to take the most of what you can get. And if you prove yourself on that level, it might not be the path that you wanted to go down, but, you know, if you're getting more opportunity calling, you know, golf versus doing baseball, then, you know, maybe that's where you're going to make your bones. You're going to be a great golf announcer. And over time, when people notice you, hey, you might get a shot to do another sport. Um, so sometimes you, you think you're, you're choosing your path, but sometimes the path chooses you. 
your game calling and take advantage of the opportunity that presents itself. And, and, you know, if you make those contacts and connections and people have confidence in you, then maybe you can get to do some of the things you've always wanted to do. Amen, brother. You know, it wasn't that long ago that I was working uh, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. in television market 115, and now I get to sit around in my sweatpants writing about sports. So just f- f- <laughs> follow that advice and you'll get to uh, get to where you want to go. Dave, listen, that was fantastic. Thanks for sharing the time. Uh, thanks for sharing the uh, the behind-the-scenes look at broadcasting and uh, and giving us some advice at the same time. And uh, hopefully we'll get these uh, – seasons started again and we'll hear you on the uh hear you on the broadcast again well i really appreciate the time kevin i hope again all your listeners and you and your family are, are safe you happy as everybody can be during this time and healthy but before we go i got it you asked me um when i think mls will be back yeah when do you think mls will be back and do you think we play a full schedule uh What's your prediction? so so my prediction is uh I, I think that the I, I think I keep hearing this arbitrary date of June first. Uh, Mark Cuban set an over and over under for June first for when he thinks the NBA might be back. Uh, my guess is that we're going to be playing in front of empty arenas uh, by June um, because it just feels to me like you know how you stepped out of this incrementally, like they were talking about barring the media from the locker rooms and then playing in front of empty stadiums. You know, going into it. I think that's how we're going to come out of it. You know, I think the issue is just like. Uh, just just making these tests accurate, you know, because you could get all the athletes tested and get all the essential athletes tested and then uh, essential personnel tested and get everybody cleared. And then if somebody goes to the Wawa and gets it again, then you're kind of killing the purpose. So, but uh, my my guess was like June first with empty stadiums. I just I just hope and I plead with owners out there, the business moguls, that the I, I the arena workers, the stadium workers are taken care of. That's great. I also fan base, those that have purchased season tickets, those that have purchased tickets for a future game, whatever happens, because there's been a lot, been a lot of schedule changes coming in all across the board. I hope everybody really is taken care of in the best light. I really do. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Well, Dave, listen, man, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, stay safe. Make sure you practice uh, social distancing and uh, wash your hands, and we're all going to get through this together. All right, man. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thanks, brother. All right, let's get to your questions and comments and concerns. But first, a shout-out to everybody who ordered beer from the Larimer. I kept seeing a bunch of stuff pop up on social media of uh, people showing off their, their orders and the beers that they went down and got or that they had delivered to their house. That was really cool. Uh, Try to help keep them afloat during a time when breweries, food service workers, uh, bars and restaurants are all struggling right now with layoffs and, and all that craziness. So uh, just goes to show how, how, how good people are about helping the, uh, helping the union community and just trying to do, a, do them a solid there. So I appreciate that. You know, because if we don't support them, then there may not be a brewery when we go back. And how shitty would that be after 10 years of just looking for anything to do around the stadium, you know? All right, so uh, not a lot of questions here, but let's see what we got here. Uh, Ed says, what's the one place in your neighborhood that you'll buy takeout or delivery uh, during all of this just to keep them alive? A couple places, man. We've been buying, um, you know, I don't know how it is where where y'all are, but 
a lot of the restaurants are doing takeout, you know, like, uh, pay five bucks. We'll put together like a lunch for you. Like my wife went up to Cedar point the other day next to, uh, across the street from Loco Pez. And, uh, they were doing like Mac and cheese and like Buffalo cauliflower bites or something like that. They were only asking five bucks, but she threw them some extra money and, you know, just trying to, you know, people were throwing them donations for try to help keep them afloat. We went to Murph's, uh, down there on Girard Avenue, got some food from them, uh, trying to get some beer at some different places. So pretty much anything you can do, you know, it's kind of scary because they're running these bare bones operations where they're still doing things, but they've had to lay off, you know, all the, the wait staff and those people at the same time. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how long they can, they can keep that up. You know, uh, Rich says the union released a sporkle type game where you could guess all 69 goal scorers in the team history in 10 minutes. Uh, who's the most random unexpected name on that list? Yeah. Um, kind of crazy. I think probably the most random Philadelphia union goal scorer of all time. He actually scored two goals, believe it or not. I thought it was one, but he scored two is, uh, was Brian Brown. You remember him, Brian Brown, the Jamaican guy who was here for like half a season. It was either 20, 15 or when was it 7 2015 or something like that yeah uh, I think he scored in Kansas City and then there was another game he scored but that was random you know and then you get like some of your center backs or defenders too who had like maybe, maybe like one goal ever you know Fabinho was on the list Steven Vittoria um, guys like that so this is a good exercise uh, JC Burner uh, Jim Curtin Burner says uh, who is on your mount who's on your Mount Rushmore of union coaches? Well, that's It's, it's going to be a short Mount Rushmore because there's only three of them ever, but I have to go into like assistant coaches. Wouldn't I, I have to do assistant coaches? Well, I'll say I'm going to put, uh, Jim Curtin, John Hackworth and, uh, Peter Novak on my, uh, Mount Rushmore of union coaches. There's three for you. Uh, Follow-up question, which Philly stadium has the best beer and food selection? That's a good question. I, you know, I would say the uh, Wells Fargo Center has actually come a long way in this department. They've been debuting all kinds of new stuff. Uh, well, this year they did, last year they did as well. They really transformed that place into something pretty cool. By the way, when we're done with all this nonsense and the uh, we've got hockey and basketball again, I recommend going up and uh, – getting a ticket in the assembly room. I took my dad up there for his 70th birthday, like one of the last Flyers games they had before they shut this shit down, as uh, Negan from The Walking Dead would say. And it was a great experience. We sat in that uh, revolutionary row area, which is like the line of seats that's in front of like the standing room only area. Uh, The bar was great. The food was great up there. It was just kind of a different experience. We could kind of get up and walk around and do different things. It didn't feel like you were just like stuck to that seat and then intermission you go get food and then you come back and you're stuck there again it was just kind of a different way to do it so assembly room write that down somewhere make a note of that Kincaid says go do the assembly room uh, when we get this stuff started up again Craig says tell the secret New York City meeting story uh, I can't because I, I feel like there's still there's people who were involved in that who are still with the team I feel like I would get people in trouble like I feel like the, I feel like time more time has to pass, or I or I do this book finally. I don't think the book's ever going to happen, but you know, if, if we're stuck in quarantine for another couple months, maybe I'll write the book. Who knows? Uh, I promise I'll tell uh, 
that at some point. If you see me in person, too, I'll tell you off the record. But you just have to promise not to tell anybody. Uh, Clint says, where in Fishtown or Northern Liberties would you build a new stadium if you could tear down any building you wanted? I think we have to tear down the Aramingo Wawa because there was a coronavirus case that was spotted there. You know, I knew it, too. I knew that that was going to be the first place where this shit happened because if you've been to that location there's <laughs> there's like a million motherfuckers who are always walking in and out of that place every single day you go there at like two in the morning and there's 25 people in there in line waiting for food there's you know people panhandling outside you get some of the uh, people who are struggling with addiction who come down from kensington who are going in and out the door there it's just kind of like the wild wild west of just like problems you know uh, lines, you know, people spreading germs, people all over each other, stuff like that. I'm not at all surprised that that was, you know, a place where they had a case. So, yeah, they're doing a deep cleaning and while I was talking about finding a time to reopen it, but that place should just stay closed, stay closed, go to the Dunkin' Donuts drive through across the street and do it that way. You know, it's funny cause they did, I, I think I did this goofy, I don't know what I was doing on Twitter this one day, but I just like was looking for, I had this dumb idea where like temple and the union could go in together on like a, uh, you know, a city stadium or something like that. And I was thinking you could do it, uh, just on some of that land along the river up in Port Richmond, like behind, behind Fishtown off the, off the Delaware. And, uh, you know, 95 just goes up there. You could pull over, you could park, you could do the lot sort of similar to how they have Subaru park right now. And, uh, you would make a turf and temple football could play there. And then the union could play there as well. Uh, you too could play there, but, uh, you know, obviously it's not, it wouldn't happen with, with Subaru being only 10 years old. You know, that's why I just felt like all those stories that came out about, well, they're looking at other places and they're thinking about doing something downtown. I mean, that was never really going to happen. They weren't just going to leave Subaru sitting there empty after 10 years, you know? Um, Jeff says, will there be a renaissance of the popular use of the term jabroni uh, as a synonym for covidiot? Uh, oh, there's a link here. The, uh, Slate did a story that says some jabroni uh, brought the coronavirus to a Kentucky coronavirus party. It's ridiculous. Can you believe these people? You know, my problem is with the coronavirus stuff is it's like you, you can be taking all the precautions necessary and you can be doing everything you're asked to do and you could be you know, doing your part to try to flatten the curve or whatever. But, you know, some idiot goes on spring break and then they go back to, you know, Kentucky and they have a coronavirus party and then they spread it to 15 other people. You know, that's the disconcerting thing. Cause it's like, you know, you could do everything possible, you know, and take one for the team and sit inside and watch nothing but Ozark uh, for 10 straight hours. But, you know, some jabroni goes out and infects a bunch of people. That's why it sucks, you know. It's like, you know, it's kind of like drunk driving in a way. Like you could be completely sober. You could be driving completely in control of your car. And it's the idiot who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they swerve into your lane and they sideswipe you, you know. That's why it's shitty because we're relying on other, we're relying on the rest of society to <laughs> to get us through this, you know what I mean? And people can't be trusted. Uh, here's another question from Jeff. When two people are walking, their dogs uh, are headed toward each other on a narrow sidewalk or path, who is supposed to move six feet over? Oh, that's a good question. Well, you know, like in the city, uh, you know, like the assumption is that uh, what we do in the city is you kind of just like assume that the other dog is not friendly. So as a courtesy, like you take your, if you see another dog coming, one person makes the first move. They kind of take their dog across the street to the other side of the street. Um, 
or if you get close, you just kind of like pull the leash up a little tighter. And I'll usually say, Oh, it's Baxter, man. He's friendly. You know, then the other person says their dog is either friendly or not, but you can walk them past each other, even on tight so- sidewalks like that. I don't know if you're out in the suburbs, you're on like a path or something like that. Or you can't cross the street. I'm, I'm not really, really sure. I think it's just a person who takes the initiative. It's like when you get to a four way stop at the same time, you're basically just looking at the other dude and kind of waiting for somebody to make a move. Right. Uh, David Meyer says, do you hope the union and other teams keep broadcasting classic games even when the season starts back up? Yeah, I would hope so. I would hope so. You know, there's some great games. You know, we were talking about this with the Moby uh, on the podcast last week. There's a lot of great games to go back and dig into, you know. And, uh, yeah, you should always try to highlight that history that the teams have and say, hey, we played this great game here. This guy had this many goals. This guy put in a great defensive performance. It's always – Worth you know go, going back and trying to highlight uh, you know those games and the individual performances and what people did in the past for sure yeah I don't I don't see why that can't be a thing going forward I just wonder how many people can what's what's the shelf life of consuming these uh, you know these former these uh, replays and stuff like that you know uh, they're replaying a bunch of Philadelphia Phillies games today you know how many people could sit there and watch uh, you could probably watch the Roy Halladay perfect game or like the Bryce Harper walk off Grand Slam or something like that but is there like a I feel like there's diminishing returns on that a little bit too because like you watch two of them, you're like, all right, I've watched two already. You know, Am I going to watch a third? I'm not sure. I'd be interested in, in knowing how many people are watching a lot of that stuff. Uh, last one here from Mitch. Mitch Dandignac, uh says, does Corey Burke have any competition for the most unlucky player in union history? Uh, visa issues last year. Shabilko takes over. Has to play in the Jamaican League. Uh, loan to a better league, but can't play now. Uh, could have a longer delay getting green card uh, back from Europe. Yeah, I never really thought of that. Jeez, God, what a situation for him. Yeah, he's. I, I'm sure he, the he just wants to get out and play a game right now. <laughs> it's 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 crazy when you kind of lay it out like that. Yeah, um, visa issues. Shabilko goes to Jamaica, comes back. He's loaned out, and then he got the coronavirus lockdown. So. Go figure. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to get out and kick a soccer ball this weekend if uh, if the weather gets nicer. You know, we can't be within six feet of people, so we'll only hit 50-yard diagonals, and uh, we'll, we'll pretend that we're playing line splitters at the same time. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Episode number 100-whatever we're on of Always Soccer in Philadelphia right now. I hope you guys are enjoying uh, the feature interviews. And like I said, if you have any ideas or uh, – you know, any special requests or whatever, we've got time. So if there's somebody you want me to reach out to or special guests that you're hoping for or uh, any other kind of ideas that you have for the podcast, give me a shout. And uh, we'll try to make it happen. All right.